Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate this this is joe cole this is ruben off the cheek and you're listening to the london London is blue Blue Podcast. podcast All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. As always, your host, my co-host, Nick and Dan. Gentlemen, we've got another Matt Loss special on the books today. Dan, what exciting news are we going to be breaking down today? Oh, I mean, it's been a calm week at Chelsea Football Club. And so, you know, we've really been racking our brains. I want to talk about with Matt. And so, you know, we figured we would... You know, try to invent something to talk about, Nick. And I just, I'm, I'm really was at a loss when I put the script together. But I'm sure we can come up with something. Yeah, look, uh, you know, not every episode has to be drama filled. You know, I think so. We're going to talk picnics. We're going to talk favorite travel destinations. Um, I'm kidding. Obviously, we are going to talk Lampard. We're going to talk uh, potential player departures. Although it seems like. On transfer deadline day on Monday at 8 a.m. Central, uh, that that is going to be very limited. And then uh, some initial thoughts uh, from Matt on Tuchel's uh, first couple of days in charge. So uh, this is going to be a jam-packed episode, uh, as you might uh, as you might guess. And we're going to try and squeeze the most out of this one, uh, given all of the stuff that's happened over the last week. Yeah. Matt, how's it been for you? Obviously, usually we assume that the end of a transfer window is a crazy time for you, which it was, but for non-transfer related things, I mean, it, it from our perspective, right? Like you had, we had a lot of different reportings of, is he going to be sacked? Is he not? Is he going, do they have a contingency plan? Do they not? And it all seemed like it just hit last week. Oh, was it Monday? I believe. Yeah, I mean, we were meant to be talking, weren't we? We were meant to do this show last Monday, um, and the week just went. I mean, we 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 tried to reschedule a couple of times, and sorry, guys, I just I couldn't I couldn't find a spare minute. Last week was absolutely insane. I mean, look, I'll try and give you an idea of what it was like for me, and 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 sort of how these things come out of the blue. I went to the Luton game on the Sunday, fully expectant that one more one more defeat was going to do it for him. Not. Obviously, they didn't lose. They won. So I thought he he would carry on. Um, went to bed on Sunday, not really expecting anything, thinking that the, the Wolves game was going to be absolutely huge. I was quite relaxed. Very early Monday, I was so relaxed. I, I went to our supermarket, started doing some shopping. 
about uh i would say quarter to nine uk time while i'm doing my shopping i get up early because my kids are small that's why i'm in the supermarket so early about quarter to nine uk time i get a call out the blue um from a contact frank's uh, frank's been called into a meeting the players have been told not to report and and that's the end fortunately i managed to stand it up um which means to you know to confirm it within about five minutes and I, I think i got the story out around 9 a.m something like that and then that was that and then it was an absolute whirlwind so it just hit it just absolutely hit from nowhere really not from nowhere because we knew he was like i say we knew he was mm-hmm. on the brink we'd written a lot of stories after the leicester game that he was fighting to save his job it was close and like i say my my thought was he was one more defeat away rather than um, them just doing it but obviously things with two good accelerators in the background so they made the change so i can just i'm imagining nick like matt's got his ice cream and dairy products but he's just <laughs> sitting there typing it all up and it's just, it's just melting because like the, i mean that there, there's obviously no bigger news at this point especially for chelsea fans it caught us i think off guard as well i think we were kind of on the same page of like we knew he was on thin ice but you're like well you know beat fulham beat luton lost Leicester. like eh you know like it could go either way and it then we saw the the matt law tweet hit and you had like woken up at 6 a.m that does not happen no no i'm not i'm not an early riser typically but yeah it was this is one of those days that you know I, i i mean i'm sure i will never kind of forget that given frank statureth club and and everything that kind of happened around uh, his departure, but yeah, it was it was an odd day. I think there was it was uh, you know kind of akin to you know for a lot of Chelsea fans who who really wanted to see Lampard work, Matt. It, it kind of felt like a loss in the family a little bit. Um, and you know, obviously Frank is not dead, so I'm not I'm not making that equation here, but. It, it, you know, it was, it was a tough day for a lot of Chelsea fans. I mean, as you're as you're writing these pieces, as you're kind of standing up, you know, the the sources and, and things like that. It, what, what was your kind of overall sense, you know, in real time, not not given the, the chance of like retrospect that of, of yeah. I mean, I, I was, I, yeah, I I was I was in shock. I mean, it kind of reminded me. Again, we knew it was coming with Jose when he got sacked the second time, and we knew it was coming, but it didn't prepare you for that shot because Jose is that club legend as well. I mean, I know mm. he's Tottenham manager now and, and whatever, but he's a Chelsea legend. Frank's a Chelsea legend. And those two sackings felt different to me than all the other sackings I've I've had to report on. Completely different because you know that there's that connection with the club. You know everything they've been through at the club. And even though you know it's close, it's still a shock um, to see someone that connected and, and, and a club legend actually sacked. So I was in shock. Look, I put out a tweet. I mean, because a lot of fellow journalists were being very kind to me on a professional point of view saying, that's incredible. You got the story. And um, I put out a tweet saying, look, you know, thanks, but... I didn't really take a lot of pleasure from this one because I didn't want it to look like I was kind of reveling in it because I wasn't. Um, I didn't particularly enjoy the look. I, it's a big story for me. You know, my paper were pleased for me. I didn't particularly enjoy the day. Um, not because it was busy. I enjoy busy days, but just because it was, it was a strange day. And I knew that it would split the fan base and I knew that it would create stuff on Twitter and 
it would create stuff on social media and, and some fans would be delighted and some fans would be annoyed and it would all come back and it was a mess it was actually a messy week i didn't really enjoy the week if i'm quite honest with you it was a messy messy week oh well, there was there's a lot of stuff to cover i mean obviously uh, around it and dan you know speaking of just waking up in the middle of the night when when this broke i mean we all it all you know kind of obviously cut us off guard but um what if, what about you from your perspective and everything like seeing it all break too i mean we we really haven't had this conversation i think on the podcast so we're we're finally getting around to it now that we've processed our feelings <laughs> the the reaction the timeline it feels like the uh the episode of csi where you're breaking down the minute by minute interactions yeah I, I, it was it was weird though because i think to nick's point it definitely was the there was a disturbance in the forest type of moment here because uh, i i remember being up super early too on the west coast and it was way before my alarm was set to go off and you know you end up kind of pulling up the the tweets and you see what happened and you're just like oh, holy crap and you know i think you know we had talked about just the importance of frank getting things right matt and how he had kind of put himself or was in a position where a sacking was uh, a possibility based upon the performance based upon the results and so maybe I think we had talked about this in our breakdown of just our feelings is that uh, it felt like it was inevitable. It felt like it was going to happen. And I think maybe that prepared me a little bit more emotionally to deal with the fact that it did happen. But as you went through maybe kind of the initial fact finding and then you kind of did like the larger behind the scenes as you look, you know, kind of started to peel the onion away. How, how long in advance do you feel like this kind of conversation this end to Lampard's tenure has been in kind of consideration or in conversation well this is a surprising thing I think it was always in the back of the heads from day one I I I what what happens with these seconds is when when they happen and when people leave you get a lot more information than you ever had you know you you think you're and you know I like to think I'm, I'm pretty well informed um but you never know everything while it's going on. And, and often when it's only at the end that you begin to get the full picture of what was actually happening and, and where things stood. To the extent that, you know, when Frank was appointed, it was announced that he'd signed a three-year contract. That wasn't a lie because he had sort of signed a three-year contract. But what he'd actually signed was a two-year with an option on the club side, not on his side. So he was only he only actually had six months left on his deal, which... Now, looking back, makes so much sense because we did press conferences when Tottenham were at the top of the league. At the top of the league. Um, and, you know, Frank had said that he wanted to discuss a new contract. Frank had said that he would like that longevity. And at the time, I remember thinking, it's a bit weird, this with 18 months. And I remember fans tweeting me saying, why, why is he talking about his contract? It's got 18 months to run. It didn't. It had six months to run. No wonder he was talking about his contract. Um and then you find out that at the end of last season, it was made very clear to him, which massively surprised me, but it was made very clear to him that fourth place wasn't good enough. The club didn't see what he did last season as a major achievement. They were pleased with, they weren't displeased, but they didn't see it as a major achievement. It was the bare minimum, and that was made clear to him. Um, it was made clear to him that Chelsea will never be happy with fourth place. They will only ever be happy with trophies. Um and so my overriding feeling, peeling it all away, is that this was always 
in the back of certain people's heads from day one. He was brought in at a very good time for, for Chelsea in terms of they were they needed a PR win. They had sold Hazard. The fan base was split from Sari. They had a transfer ban. They needed a PR win. Frank was a PR win for them. Whatever else he might have been for them, Frank was a PR win. And I've got to say, I think for some people from day one, he was seen as that PR win stroke stopgap to see a transition through onto the next man. And I I don't know this. I haven't spoken to him since he was sacked. I would like to one day. Um, but I get the feeling that he feels that way now as well in retrospect. It was something we had talked about lightly, right? I mean, it. we don't know what Chelsea's intentions, everything were. But, you know, like I said, we were just trying to connect dots based on what you know, people like yourself are reporting on. And, and in the in the hindsight, you're just like, well, if that was the case, that would be, you know, a, a bit of a shame. But post Maurizio Sarri, there was really no better option than Frank Lampard at the time to like unify, unite the fans and, and the club and everything again. I get it. Look, I, what I should stress as well is I don't think it was a, a feeling throughout the whole club. Um and I don't want to start naming names and start chucking mud around because I don't think that would do any good for anybody. But I do think it, it was a sense in some parts of the club. And look, he he had the opportunity. They weren't fully satisfied with fourth. They never will be. And we can come on to that with Tuchel later as well. But um, they still gave him the opportunity to improve on that. You know, they, they, they did invest heavily. And we can argue about where the investment's gone and who wanted what and, and, and whatever. But... He wouldn't dispute. They backed him in the summer in terms of the investment to try and build on that fourth place that they so badly wanted to improve on. Um, but I am absolutely certain that had Frank had stayed and they finished fourth again, that that contract wasn't getting extended. He'd have walked away and they'd have shaken hands and walk, walked away anyway. Fourth, fourth this season would not have kept him his job. No chance. So, Even with an FA Cup win, maybe with, completely different if they win the Champions League, but that's very unlikely. But even if they win the FA Cup and finish fourth this season, Frank Frank wouldn't have been starting next season as Chelsea manager. <laughs> um, yeah, that's it's it's interesting, right? Like, I, I think there was this prevailing theory amongst fans that, um, as as he was probably the highest ranking member of of the former playing staff was like stature um within the club he's probably chelsea's greatest all-time player and had taken taken the job and essentially now kind of seeming done done the club a pr favor uh in the process that there it might be different like they might address him differently and it almost seems like this is more harsh than what they did to Maurizio sorry in retrospect well they um, they it's, let Maurizio Sarri drop out. I mean, people forget that Maurizio Sarri walked away of his own accord at the end of the day. Wow. I, mean, yes. I, I personally think they probably would have ended up sacking Sarri anyway, but that didn't happen. They didn't need to. He walked away of his own accord. Antonio Conte, for all the problems that were going on in the background, he had won a title, so he, des- he fully deserved it, in my opinion. Don't get me wrong. But for all the problems that were going on in the background, Antonio Conte still got a full season to finish. Um, before he he went. so it does feel harsh i mean i still probably think ancelotti's sacking is harsher mm. but maybe not quite so shocking because the connection and like you say i find it difficult to process because i'm remember i'm not a chelsea supporter so 
I don't have that feeling of um, gratitude to Roman and to the current sort of uh, ownership for the fact that they've brought all this success. I'm not a fan, so I don't feel that. So I might feel differently if as a fan, but if I can only relate it to to my own club, you know, if if we had a club legend like that in charge, I think I'd find it hard to take that that second. I think I'd find it hard to accept. But they do it because they want to win. They, and whatever you argue in the midst of it, it's, you know, for everything they've won under, under Abramovich and for everything, all the success Chelsea have had, it's, it's so hard to argue against. I suppose we'll, we'll touch on this when we talk about Tuchel uh, at the end, but just as a, a general sentiment moving forward to, to allow our fan base to set their expectations appropriately, is, I, I think, is it right to just think that Chelsea are 18 months and done with managers pretty much from here on out, unless, unless some dramatic success happens? Well, they've, they've yeah, yes, is yeah. quite honestly the answer, you know. They've made it clear. I mean, Tuchel said on the record himself that he's been told he's got to win titles. And titles aren't FA Cups and Carabao Cups. Titles are Premier League titles and Champions Leagues. If you don't win one of those in 12 to 18 months at Chelsea, you're getting replaced. And there's no point pretending any different. The only This was the first opportunity with Lampard for the club to actually show they were going to go in a different direction or wanted to go in a different direction. And they don't want to. And that's fine. You know, that is fine. That is totally their prerogative. Um, I don't think, you know, you should necessarily criticise them for that. Every club has different philosophies. and But let's not pretend any different. Let's not try and dress it up as projects and philosophies and everything. Now, let's just be honest. You don't win a Premier League title or a Champions League title or maybe go extremely close, get to a final or really, you know, get that Premier League title race down to the, the last few games you're getting replaced. So back to kind of the the squad and, and things like that, obviously it sounded like the the tension with the board maybe went back to, to summer um, and maybe player recruitment. But getting beyond that is is the squad and it being bloated, which is something that you'd been talking about the entire time and the inability to move players. Do you think because he didn't have a lot of experience, he struggled with managing that? I mean, some of the allegations that came out were pretty strong that you know he didn't talk to certain players for months or seemed very like cold and abrasive do you think if he had a smaller squad it was just easier to manage for a, a someone with not a lot of experience would have been easier for him do you think he kind of like yeah it was great they backed him but now he had like this huge squad that he didn't really know what to do with from his point of view that was a massive problem from Chelsea are actually happy with the size of their squad that's why we're talking on transfer deadline day and nobody's really leaving um Apart from the COVID situation in the last few days, it's become clear that the club disagreed with Lampard over this. Lampard was adamant the squad was too big and that it was actually over a long-term period and manageable situation that you couldn't have players who clearly were not going to be involved properly and, and try and keep them happy. The squad disagree, the, the club disagree on that. I mean, Alonso is a good example because obviously he came in and scored yesterday, but Alonso, they had three left-backs and Alonso became the third-choice left-back. And if they played training games, he was having to stand on the sidelines or play completely out of position because if they played a training match it with two teams, it was, there was only space for two left-backs. Um, and Room I think on the Frank wings, actually, though, for him. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Frank was probably sympathetic of the fact that even though he didn't particularly want Alonso at the club, it became clear. I think he was sympathetic of the fact that he could understand why 
Alonso would be very unhappy with even in training not being able to play in in training games in his proper position. So that that does get messy and difficult. And and as we always find out, it's the same at every single club. This is not a Chelsea thing. When things aren't going well, the players are having team meetings. They're disagreeing on things. Certain players speak up in certain meetings. Some players will agree with them. Other players will disagree with them. Some players will like the fact that the players are speaking up. Other players won't, won't like it. And it creates a difficult, really difficult atmosphere. And that's not, that happens at every club where, where results are going badly. That's not a Chelsea thing, but it was it was happening and getting worse at Chelsea over the last few months. It's become clear. Can can you touch on real quick? I guess I have two questions. One, the Leicester City match when he like went around and shook hands. It seemed like everyone was kind of on the same page of what was going to happen. And then two, I mean, it, and we just have no idea. Like, is this a common thing for players to discuss? Like, oh, hate this manager. I want him out. Like, is that an open conversation players have in the WhatsApps or something like that? Like, to me, that sounds crazy, but I bet that happens in workplaces where you're like, man, I hate my boss. <laughs> and you talk around the water cooler. Look, I, I don't know what's being said in, in actual private conversation. I know that there's been disagreements in terms of the actual wording of disagreements and and what they've been saying to each other, I wouldn't uh, want to sort of speculate on that. But the, the players said, look, I did an interview with Aspilicueta last week. Aspilicueta, it's like any other job. You know, people are happy, people are unhappy. There's pressure on their jobs, there's pressure on their situations. And as you say, in normal jobs, you will definitely not get on with all your colleagues and all your bosses. And you will definitely talk about it, whether it's in private situations, whether it's on WhatsApp, whether it's messages, whether it's a little comment here and there or a sly dick here and there. But that that's that's just human nature. That's just normal life, isn't it? Um, but the problem is when results are going badly, these big things become a real issue. If results are going well, these things aren't an issue. This is going on sort of all the time. You know, when when Chelsea were on their 17 uh, game run and beaten run in all comps this season, the same players who towards the end of Lampard's reign were probably causing problems for Lampard. We're saying the same things during the 17 game and beaten run, but it wasn't a thing. The, ch- the the team were winning. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an issue. It was just them being unhappy with their own situation. The minute the results turn, that's when it becomes a, a much bigger issue for the whole club. When you think about what's next for, for Frank, and I know you kind of had the initial article speculating on like where where he kind of goes from here. What what do you think happens next? Is it, you know, kind of a move back into management, maybe looking at what's available in the summer when clubs are making the decision? Or does he maybe kind of take a little bit of time off to kind of strategize, you know, what, what, and maybe kind of figure out what to do next? You know, where are you thinking he'll land? Or do you have any kind of guess on that? He'll land back in the Premier League eventually. He'll, he'll take another Premier League job for sure. He's absolutely determined to... Um, to sort of go again. I don't think he feels necessarily need prove himself the wrong word because I think he's he he will believe he's proven himself to a certain extent and he'll probably all, all also believe he's already done the hardest job he'll ever do in his career, you know. Conte, Antonio Conte calls Chelsea the hardest job he's ever done. I think Ancelotti does as well. You know, Frank's second job of his whole career will probably be the hardest job he's ever had to to face. So whoever gets him next is actually getting him in a great situation because it's a young coach who's very driven, who's actually got this experience that he'll probably never have a more difficult experience. Um, I think he'll pr- probably break until the summer. Um, 
I don't see too many jobs coming up before then anyway that he'd be interested in. His wife's pregnant, so you know, it, it makes sense for him to take a bit of family time. But I'd imagine they'll look at it and there'll be a club out there. You know, there will. If Hassan had ever left Southampton, something like that looks a good fit. If Roy Hodgson retires at some stage, Crystal Palace or something looks a good fit. Anything around that mid, mid-table mid Premier League, if a job becomes available. I don't think he's going to have to be jumping into a, a sort of West Brom or a, a team that's, you know, really up against relegation. I think he can get a, a mid to lower mid-table Premier League job and and have a chance to then also. But what he will be careful of, I think, is being sure that he thinks that he's going to get some time because he can't go into another job where he only gets 12 to 18 months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a good point. I, I guess the last point would be, um, obviously, Joe Edwards, Anthony Berry stay behind to to help Tuchel out, um, and and the rest of the staff with Lampard kind of departed with him. Uh, are there any interesting thoughts around that? It, it, it seemed odd to me that like half of the backroom staff would stay. Um, I think it's sensible. Transition. I think it's sensible. Certainly, um, the Joe Edwards one makes a lot of sense because. You're worried that the first thing you think of when Lampard goes is what's going to happen to all the kids? What's going to happen to all these academy graduates who have had all this faith put into them, who have been working with uh, Jody Morris and Frank, who they know very well. But of course, they all know Joe Edwards very well. Joe Edwards has been through with a lot of them through their progression at Chelsea. So that really helps the young players. They've still got a point of contact. They've still got a familiar, friendly face who have known a lot of them since they were sort of 14, 15, and it keeps that link to the academy as well. And it would be such a shame if in this change, you know, I think Frank's done loads of good things. And, and the biggest thing is in bringing the academy and the first team together. I, I think Chelsea should be absolutely eternally grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would have been such a shame if in the next change, an immediate split had been made again. And I think keeping Joe really helps that that link stay and I would hope to see that that link has stayed. So I think keeping Joe is really, really wise from all perspectives. Apart from the fact as well, he's really highly rated by Chelsea. I mean, Joe Edwards is seen as a, a Brendan Rodgers type figure of of someone who who should go far in coaching and, and possibly management one day. And and I know Chelsea are desperate to to keep him progressing through the club rather than progressing elsewhere. So that's him. Anthony Barry's impressed a lot of people. I don't, I know more about Joe Edwards because he's been around the club a bit more. Obviously, Anthony Barry came in in the summer. I know a bit less about him, but I know that everyone speaks very highly of him. Um, and again, you do want, you need a little bit of continuity. They don't have a squad like they used to have of of all these sort of Premier League winners, the Lampards, the Drogbers, the, the Czechs, the Ashley Coles. They could manage themselves. They could go through periods of massive change. It's a completely different squad. And it'll be interesting to see how they cope with it over long term. But they needed a bit of continuity. Um, and those two definitely provide it. So I think it's really wise of them to keep them. All right. Well, I think that'll wrap us up on the old Frank Lampard section. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. But when we get back, uh, we're going to touch on the transfer window and then a little bit on Tuchel's arrival. So thanks to sponsors for supporting the show. We'll uh, be right back. All right. So quick pivot to the, the transfer window. 
Uh, you were talking about how a lot of players are going to be staying. It doesn't seem like a lot of exits are going to be going. We'll come back to Billy Gilmore, which you tweeted about today. But we did have a departure. Well, we're, there was a few, but I won't talk about Baba Rockman on this one. Uh, Fakao Tomori to AC Milan. Yeah. He seems happy. We're happy for him, but we're sad to see him go. Uh, that one, AC Milan. And he's starting already. Like, this is gonna this one's gonna hurt us fans, Matt. I think this one's this one's gonna hurt. It's incredible. I I think this has really flown under the radar outside Chelsea about how big this is. You know, a, a young English defender has gone to AC Milan on loan to start while they're at the top of Serie A. I was trying to think of English defenders who have ever gone to Italy. I could think of Des Walker. Do you guys remember Des Walker? Micka Richards. Uh, he went to Sampdoria. Yeah, but Micka Richards went to Fiorentina in a bad time of his career. I'm, I'm thinking guys who were... But Micka Richards is one. I mean, good shout. Um, but Des Walker went as a stellar signing to Sampdoria mm. um, when Sampdoria were one of the best Italian teams. For a Chelsea kid to go to AC Milan when they were at the top of Serie A with Paolo Maldini doing the deal, it's mind-blowing. When you actually think about it, it's mind-blowing. I think it's really... <laughs> Falling under the radar. And look, I know you guys are upset and I'm upset. I'm a massive Fick fan. I think he's great. I do think it was one of one of Frank's errors over the past 12 months that 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 Fick wasn't given more of a chance. I I still think he'll be back. I I don't I don't in my heart of hearts see it getting made permanent because A, I don't think Chelsea are hoping it will get made permanent. And B, I think the bar in terms of the transfer fee was set high enough that Italian clubs are really hurting from, from COVID. And even if he does incredibly well at AC Milan, which I'm sure he will, I think they will struggle to pay that fee because um, there's no money in Italian football at the moment. So I, I, I hope and think he will be back. And I think as long as he is in the long run, it will be a win-win for everybody. Because imagine if he comes back having played six months for AC Milan, winning Serie A, like I say, working with Paolo Maldini, working with Italian defenders, there's nothing better. You know, Italian football is not at the top of European football at the moment, but Italian defending is still at the top of European defending. I mean, it's such a win-win if he does come back. And it's such an incredible experience for him. I'm told that he's relishing learning Italian. He's not seeing it as a chore. He's, have you guys spoken to him? Have you guys done an interview with him? Mm-hmm. We did yeah. at oh. the beginning of last year, yeah. When, Very when intelligent Mm-hmm. Yeah, very, very, very intelligent lad. It's it's obvious when you talk to him. He's he's not what you'd call stereotypical footballer. Um, very intelligent family, and he's embracing learning Italian. He's not going home and thinking, "Oh God, I've got to do an hour's Italian now." He's like, "I want to do more. I want to do more." I'm told he's already speaking a little bit and speaking as as much as he can, and I just think it's going to be amazing for him. Well, then then let's let's round that one up to a net positive at the end of it. I mean, like you said, to, to play for AC Milan uh, with some some big players, it's the Italian league is always regarded as a highly tactical league as well. So he's going to have to think and read, which is fantastic for us. Do you, I can't remember? Are they playing a back three too, Matt? Oh, you've got me now. I don't. I've got to That's be honest. Fine. We'll figure it out. Someone someone will know. But anyways, because now we got to think about back threes, which is great. <laughs> uh, Dan, what about our wee Scottish lad? Well, yeah, uh, thought he would go, thought he would stay, thought he might get game time, thought he might not get game time. But now it looks like with Billy Gilmore that he will most likely stay and not go out on loan. And so is it more a matter of making sure that uh, 
Tuchel gets every opportunity to evaluate anyone who's been in the first side or the first team? Or is it just a matter of they don't want to risk it given kind of the COVID situations and, you know, maybe kind of if, you know, Jorginho ends up being sick or out, you know, for an extended period, you have an immediate replacement there. There's certainly an element of that. I mean, look, the Petr Cech's still in Chelsea squad because of that. There's there's an element that, and this is where the club disagreed with Frank, the club definitely think that they need as many bodies as they can. They're worried what happens if they get a little COVID outbreak. So there's a touch of that. Um, although having said that, I think the club would have been willing to loan him out if if Tuchel and the player had given it the green light. I'm told last week when he was left out of Tuchel's first squad that after that there was a conversation because Billy at that point thought, well, I'll, I'll probably need to go out on loan. You know, he'd played in the Luton game and left out the next squad. And I think there was a bit of disappointment and and probably thinking I need to go and play. I'm not going to play. But I think since then, things have gone well in training. I know he wasn't in the next squad, but I think Tuchel said enough to him to convince him that he will get game time. You know, they're, they're still in the FA Cup. I imagine he'll play every single FA Cup game. I think Tuchel's told him, and I think it's going to become obvious that He's going to change a lot up all the time. The formation, the, the team selection, I think it's going to change quite quite a lot. Um, and also, I think Billy's probably sat down and thought about it and thought, if if this guy is going to be the, the Chelsea manager next season, what's my best chance of, I want to be a Chelsea player, what's my best chance of convincing him I'm good enough for Chelsea? Is it going on loan to Southampton and doing well? Or is it, even if I don't play as often as I'd like to, is it, showing him in training every single day and learning what he wants to do with the team rather than what someone else did. And I think they probably evaluated and thought, even though he might miss out on the Euros, which would be a massive shame for him, for his long-term or his medium to long-term Chelsea prospects past this season, certainly while Tuchel's at the club, he's better off trying to show Tuchel what he can do and learning what Tuchel wants. Yeah, we, we can't say long-term anymore. No, there long-term. Is, That's there, why there I changed, no, yeah. There is no There's long-term. No um an interesting development has been Jorginho's reemergence in, into the squad, and and there are rumors now that he might sign an extension to his deal. Um, what are your what are your thoughts around that, Matt? I know that we've talked uh, plenty on this pod this year that you know as as far as preferences in midfield, you know he he might not be the most highly rated, but he seemed to be given kind of a, a whole new lease on life. Yeah, I mean, this is like the early, the early sort of impressions of Tuchel are doing that, isn't it? You know, I know, I know Tony Rudiger had come back with Frank, but Tony Rudiger's now looking like a fixture. Aspie's back, as you said, back to back three, um, and Jorginho Alonso back, and and Jorginho is is one of them. I I wouldn't be that mad if he if he really is going to be one of Tuchel's main players. I wouldn't be massively surprised at all if they offer him a new contract. Um, which is an incredible turnaround. Look, I haven't heard anything on that, I'll be honest with you. There's always... Jorginho is one of those players. He has a very sort of active agent overseas. There's always a lot of rumours around him either going or signing new contracts and da-da-da-da-da. So I'm always a little bit sceptical of, of hearing this out of kind of Italy that, oh, yeah, he might sign a new contract now. But Tuchel's going to give him a go. You know, I think it's on record. I'm not the biggest fan of, of Jorginho's, but... If Tuchel can make it work, good luck to him. Real quick, I have to ask a follow-up. Was Southampton the likely destination for Billy Gilmore? Because that got me thinking. Yeah, I look, that, that was another difficulty with Gilmore. That Chelsea have got so many players out on loan in the Premier League that oh, the, yeah. finding, 
finding a realistic destination for Billy at this late stage in the Premier League, the options were really small when you when you boiled it down um, to where he realistically might go. Southampton was probably the only realistic Premier League option, although I'm told there was a lot of foreign options had they wanted to do it as well. Okay. Uh, sad to hear that maybe N'Golo Kante is not thrilled with the chopping and changing of managers, as I believe he is now on his fourth manager and he's potentially looking to to leave Chelsea, which also sounds like the least N'Golo Kante thing ever. But look, at the same time, if N'Golo Kante wants to do something for himself, I think he's earned it in our graces. But is that what you're hearing, Matt? Look, the, the situation with Kante is this. is uh, He's not a player who's going to go in and ask for a transfer. He's not going to go in and, and batter the door down and say, I want to leave. But I don't think he's a happy player either. I don't... I think... He lost a lot of friends at Chelsea. You know, he was close with Hazard. He was close with Costa. He was, he was in, even though he's so different to Costa, they, they were all a little group, that group he came in and win the title with. And when you break it down, he's, he's lost a lot of friendships from player sales and things. And I'm told he can cut a bit of an isolated figure at Chelsea these days. I don't think he's the happiest guy around. Um, I think he's probably a little bit, Strange word, but maybe even a bit lonely in his own way. Um, without great, I think he's close to Giroud and a couple of the French lads. But I, I think they need to they need to get him happier again. They need to get him happier again. I think he was a bit unhappy with the way things went in, in the Sari days when I think he felt pushed to play through injury, which set him back a long, long spell. And as we're still seeing the effects of that, actually, you know, every time he gets an injury now, he's out for longer than than everybody thinks. And I don't think he was that happy with the way he was treated by Sari back then, which created a little bit of strange feeling. Um, I know he was very grateful to the club when they let him have extra time off over the COVID, but Tuchel needs to manage that situation carefully. Um, he needs to get an arm. I'm sure he's doing this. He needs to get an arm around Kante. He needs to make him feel comfortable and loved because he's not your typical footballer. He's a quiet introvert. Ad, and if they're going to get the best out of him and they're going to, make sure that he wants to continue to play at the top for Chelsea. They're going to have to just boost him a bit and, and get him feeling positive again. And he doesn't, Brazil he's not a player who will relish all this change. He won't re relish all this upheaval and change. And the, like I've been telling you, he's certainly not a player who will be getting involved in the team meetings and all that. He won't like it. He, he wants to get in and play his football pretty well. I think he was close to the Brazilians too. And if you just think to like three yeah. seasons ago... Our locker room is very different. It, obviously, very English heavy yeah. as well. So I can I totally understand that point. It makes a lot of sense. So I think another one, Matt, that uh, maybe it's the last time we will talk about this player in a potential transfer regarding Chelsea is Declan Rice. <laughs> it seems like from all indication that that was very much someone that Frank wanted to sign. Uh, maybe not necessarily like the club probably identified that like a defensive midfielder would be a good signing, but the preferred candidate that Frank had in mind was Declan Rice. Uh, this seems to be the end of that connection or possible transfer to it certainly Chelsea. Is a, yeah, it certainly is at the moment. I mean, I don't know. It's way too early to talk about what, what Tuchel sees and, and what Tuchel wants and doesn't want. I mean, I think Declan Rice is a wonderful player, so it's not beyond the realms of possibility that, that Tuchel ends up identifying him and, and believing he'd be a good sign-in. But, um, yeah... Frank Frank was that was not a club driven 
interest. So in, in terms of where that stands there now, it's, it's currently dead. Um, as I say, whether that ever gets re, whether that ever gets any wind in its sails again will totally depend on what what Tuchel wants and what Tuchel sees and impresses Tuchel. But yeah, there's there's no sort of club driven interest there at all. Last one I think um, is Rudiger, which has been a strange one uh, I think for for many fans to stranger than Jorginho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because Jorginho played quite a bit last year. You know, I think people it's easy to forget he he did play Rudiger has been third fourth or fifth string for quite a while and is now seemingly back near the top and Fakayo Tomori is on loan at AC Milan so yeah I I think stranger for sure um well what are your thoughts on Rudiger here Matt I mean is 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 he is he back for good or is this does it feel temporary for you really good question I know Chelsea definitely are looking at the centre-backs. They've got a very odd situation at centre-back, which we've spoke to, but spoke about before with contracts. A lot of contracts coming down to the last two years or one year. There's, there's going to be changes at the back. Past this season, I'm, I find that a difficult call to make at the moment. It would depend on, on how Rüdiger performs. I think it's clear that from now till the end of the season, he's, he's jumped right back up the pecking order. I know he'd already jumped up a bit under Frank, but I... I believe under Frank, he would have dropped, not back down to the bottom, but I, do, I think the plan was to always give dip Zuma out, hope that Zuma recovers a bit of form from a rest and, and probably bring Zuma back in and go back to Zuma and, and Thiago Silva in the long run. I think now that, that Tuchel's in, it looks like Rudiger will be relied upon. He's a massive dressing room presence, probably the biggest one at Chelsea. He's the biggest character. He's the. I wrote a piece this week that he's the real alpha male of that group, for good and for bad. And I think it's probably actually in the short term for the rest of the season is probably wise. Tuchel can't get him out of the club now. He's coming in as a new manager. It's probably wise to try and get Rudiger on side because I think from everyone I talk, I've spoken to ex-managers about Rudiger. I've spoken to people in Italy about Rudiger. I've spoken to people around the club very recently about Rüdiger. And it's clear with Rüdiger that if you have a positive, engaged Rüdiger, he's a great guy to have around. He can invigorate a dressing room and he can invigorate a squad of players. Because he's such a big personality, if he's not feeling positive and invigorated, that can go completely the wrong way if he doesn't feel involved and feel good. So it's it's completely wise of Tuchel until the end of the season to have him on side, basically. Otherwise, that situation could could be very difficult to manage for a new manager coming in. So he's probably doing the right thing. Um, past this season, I don't know. I mean, look, Rüdiger's performances lately have, have, have been okay. He hasn't really been tested. It'll be interesting when he's when he's tested because at the end of last season, I thought he'd his levels had really dropped quite badly. Um, but he can be. We know he can be a good defender. He's not a terrible defender. He's a German international. You know, he he's clearly a talented player. So let's hope Tuchel can bring out the best of him. All right. Well, the last thing we just want to touch on, and we'll probably save a lot more of this a little bit later because Tuchel has arrived. But it's it's so short that we probably shouldn't plant our flag and make a determination on Mister Tuchel just yet. But. Um, maybe we can give some background information on Tuchel and Chelsea, starting off with 
do you know if Chelsea had been looking at him for quite a while? It sounds like they tried to sign him instead of Maurizio Sarri. Mm, not sure about that. I think okay. he tried to come in. I think he tried to come in instead of Maurizio Sarri. He's he's fancied the Chelsea job for a while, which is you know is encouraging. He's looked at Chelsea as a club he's wanted to manage for probably the last um, three to four years. You know he when Conte at the end of Conte's first season when there was some fears that Conte was going to walk out and he'd had his one of his very famous strops, um, Tuchel kind of made himself available um, back in 2017. And Chelsea were warned off him back then. You know, Chelsea were told, this guy's a combustible figure. He's had problems with the Borussia Dortmund board. Borussia Dortmund's his first big job and he's fallen out with everybody. Um, and they were told back then, don't, He's, he's not a good profile for you, particularly if you're looking to get away from Antonio Conte. Um, since then, I think, as you say, he probably put himself forward again when when Sari came in. But I don't know what's changed. I, I think maybe, I know he had his fallouts at PSG, but he's he's taken on another big job at PSG. And let's face it, he did well. He's, he's won titles and he got them to the Champions League final. He did well at PSG. Um, another club where success is only rated by titles. So he's used to that as well now. So in terms of the difference in Thomas Tuchel from 2017 to now, it's quite big and his experiences are quite big. And the club have obviously decided he's now in a better position to take this job. But yeah, for whatever reason, Tuchel, Tuchel's pushed himself towards Chelsea for, for a while, which, I, like I say, is probably a positive thing. He's he, He's fancied this job for a bit. I think the favorite line I had from your match report versus Burnley was the conventional wisdom may need to be abandoned. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, and I think we've seen some interesting lineups so far. Players come in that have maybe been out in the frozen tundras are now finding a little warmth and a little love. What are what have you maybe seen just maybe different from how he's set up over the last two matches? You know, Do you view them as preseason ahead of this Spurs match where essentially now he'll we'll see maybe a more fully formed 11 look my my early impressions are that he's going to be very hard to second guess he's going to be very very difficult I, I think he's going to what I meant by throughout conventional wisdom you know what positions you think players should play what players you believe should be played what players you believe shouldn't be played I, I think that's all out the window I think that's you know and the Callum Hudson, you know, one training session with Callum Hudson Adore, who's never played wing back in his life, to put him in at wing back was a massive risk against Tottenham, uh, against Wolves, sorry, um, for his first game. Even though, you know, everyone gave him a free pass on that game, it'd be ridiculous to judge Tuchel on that game. There's a big old risk that, and it, it, it you know, Hudson Adore's been the, the best player the last two games, and that, that change in itself would give encouragement that this guy sees things that we don't, that are he's going to do clever things with. You know, I didn't see a way of fitting in Hudson, Adoy, Werner, Pulisic, Ziyech, Mount. I didn't see how you fit all those t- players in Havertz, how you fit them all into the same team. And he's looking at very interesting solutions to do that. I didn't see an immediate move to back three with Aspie, Aspie back in that position, but Aspie's comfortable there. He's not the player of, of three years ago under Conte. He's, he's got older and he's, He's declined a little bit. He's very comfortable there. Um, and yeah, bringing Alonso in, when that rumour started going round ahead of ahead of yesterday's game, I just thought, this is insane. You know, this guy hasn't played any football since September 20, uh, September 26th against West Brom. 
I thought, this is absolutely insane. I didn't think Alonso had a stunning game at all, but he scored a stunning goal. Um, and then when you heard Tuchel afterwards, actually, he made a bit of sense. I thought it was interesting. He was asked afterwards about Alonso, and he said, I brought him in actually because of his size, you know. He had looked at the videos of Burnley and seen how strong they are on set pieces, and Alonso is actually very good in the air. He is, a, he is for a fullback, he's a big guy. And so you immediately think, okay, there's, there's some interesting interesting sense there. So, yeah, I, I, in terms of predicted teams and who's going to be in and who's going to be out, I think it's going to be a real roller coaster. And I wouldn't even like to predict how he'll play against Tottenham because I I think it's going to be really difficult to call it every time. I, th- I think one of the uh, kind of funny anecdotes is uh, that that we're going around is, you know, two goals, Sherman, therefore... In, in every scenario, Tuchel is going to get the most out of our current underperforming Germans. And while that may seem simplistic on its face, Matt, is is there kind of a, a logic pattern there that you're looking at to you know for him to get the most out of Werner and Havertz? Because you know, look, it's it's been a rough run for both of them. You know, just flat out, it's probably been a, a more rough run for more of a rough run for for Havertz, obviously with with COVID kind of being the predominant you know, stopper on, on his performances, but that it just seems kind of simplistic to say like German equals better Germans. This is the new Rafa Benitez Torres. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, look, um, Maurizio Sarri brought in Gonzalo Higuain and their relationship was meant to be, you know, Higuain at Napoli with Sarri had scored like a million goals in, in five games or something. And, he couldn't. You can't produce miracles of players who can't fit in over here just because you're the same nationality as them, or because you some have some sort of historical link to them. So, I look if they are thinking that, I think it's nonsense. I don't think you hire a German guy just because you've got two German players who aren't doing very well. I think that's absolute nonsense. Clearly, though, any manager who comes in has has got to get a tune out of those two um, over the short to medium term because. It's it's very clear that the club have invested heavily on them, and they're not they're not prepared to just see them fail. They particularly Havertz, I get the feeling more so than Werner. I get the feeling that there's a lot of investment from up high in terms of how highly he was rated by Roman Abramovich. Let's face it, you know, it, it feels like Roman really invested into that signing, both um, sort of emotionally and economically. Um, so to please Roman, I think you need to get, get Havertz in and performing. Not straight away, not like in the next two or three games, but you've got to be coming up with a plan that provides some encouragement for those two players. Well, I mean, lastly, I, I have appreciated the transparency from Tuchel, which I think you kind of talked about and like his, why did he play experienced players in the first match? Because they should carry the burden of a transition. That That's fair. Why did I play Alonso? Because Burnley loves set pieces and crosses. That makes a lot of sense. And now he's even come out and said, I know what I got to do. This club is all about winning trophies, and that's what we're going to do. He said the Premier League title is too far away, but we have the FA Cup and the Champions League to focus on, and that's what he's going to do. Um, I mean, that's the remit for Tuchel. And and that's I'm, I feel like he's been giving his marching orders. This is the bit where I have an issue, not with Tuchel. I think that's an impossible job. I, I I know that this is what Chelsea are, but I fear that Chelsea are living in the past here because 
it doesn't work anymore to bring in a manager and say, you've essentially got six months to turn this team into title winners, either in the Premier League or in the Champions League. I don't see that working for them. Um, so if it really is as clear as the fact that next season he has to win the Premier League or the Champions League or get to a final or go to the last two games of the Premier League title, I don't think he's got a chance in hell, quite frankly. And I think he's fighting a losing battle from the off. I think Chelsea need to reevaluate where they are. They haven't competed for a Premier League title since they last won it. They haven't been anywhere near. Like, they haven't just not won it. They've not been anywhere near. So they're coming from a very long way behind. They've lost ground massively. Champions League, they haven't competed since Jose got them to the semi-final on his, his first season back. And they didn't really ever feel like potential Champions League winners that season. They, they got to the semi-final against Atletico Madrid, but I don't think I ever felt they were going to win it. And I don't think I ever felt they were realistic potential Champions League champions. It's a completely different landscape. It used to be with the squad they had and with the advantage of the money they had and the fact that there were probably only ever two or three teams who could really ever challenge for the Premier League side. They used to be able to turn these managers over and say to them, you've got to come in and win a title now. I don't think it's realistic anymore. I think it's completely unrealistic. I think it's completely unfair. If that is really what, what Tuchel's up against, I think it's completely unfair on him. I really do. Well, if you assume last season they accepted Lampard getting fourth and now he's been sacked and now Tuchel's here, you assume that they'll accept top four this season. Yeah. So we've just now wasted another season of like just accepting top four and then, oh, next season you have to build. So it, it definitely is like the, the concern. It's, it's not even really all of next season, right? I mean, when you're on an 18-month deal, just, <laughs> yeah. as, just as Lampard was, right, by – what December of next year, so like one basically one full calendar year, you're already kind of back on to that who's going to be the next manager thing because you're you have a manager whose contract is expiring and maybe hasn't hit the heights that you wanted to, right, Matt? And then this is it, and, and getting the players to invest in him becomes impossible because you know, if you're a player now who in six months is not playing very much under Tuchel or not doing very well under Tuchel. You've got two choices. You've got the choice of you leave Chelsea and you take a very big wage cut wherever you go and you go to a club probably that's not going to challenge for titles. Or you decide to yourself, I'll be here longer than this guy. I'll see it out. And I'm, I'm not going to invest in the guy here. I'm not going to do a lot to try and win over his faith or, or get in the team. I'm just going to sit it out because if I sit it out six months, he'll get sacked. It's... No one investing it is really. I just think it's now such an outdated mode to try and win titles by. Liverpool approved it's outdated. Man City approved it's outdated. The structures of those clubs are set up far more for the long term. And Pep's just signed a new contract. You know, Man City will go big in this next con in this next summer. And all those Man City support uh, players know Pep's there for the long haul. You know, there's not going to be a change. They're all completely invested in Pep. Liverpool players are completely invested Klopp. Even Leicester with Brendan Rodgers. I just think you you can't say to the guy, you come in and next season we've got to challenge, you've got we've got to win in the Premier League, or we've got to go one step from winning the Premier League, otherwise you're going to get sacked. I think it's madness, personally. I, I, I see the problems with that. To your point, if managers at Chelsea 
always have one door out the door, one foot out the door to your point. So to your thing, I think that really clicked for me right there is that players don't have to always 100% commit to a manager. They don't have to 100% buy in or maybe do the extra running because to your point, and like that is a problem. And while I think a lot of things you've seen is, oh, well, this is the Chelsea way. We chop and change managers and it works. It worked. And I think to your point, we're seeing a, the model has changed. But I think that was the whole idea under Frank. We we wanted the long-term plan. Like, I, I think we're ready for it. <laughs> I want to make it clear, though, that this isn't a Frank Tuchel thing. You know, I, I think Correct. it's a manager. I, I, This is certainly not me as well predicting Tuchel won't do well. I've been impressed with him the last two games. I hope he did really well. And he can do really well. But I worry about what the club actually expects from him, whether it's Tuchel, whether it's Lampard. Even if it was Sean Dyche as manager, I'm not talking about the name of the man. I don't care who it is. I'm talking about the expectation the club have become unrealistic in the current world, I think. I just don't think you can expect that anymore. And I just, as you say, if you're constantly looking for the next man, the next man, that's what the players end up doing. The players constantly look for the next man and the next man. And as you say, there's no running, there's no investment, there's no, there's no need for them. You know, the, the club are clearly choosing the players over the manager every time. So if you play, you, you know the score. So, uh, look, maybe you can prove me wrong, but I I think Tuchel can do a very good job at Chelsea and I can think he can be a very good Chelsea manager. But I also think what he said was told to him is very concerning because I think when you look at the fact that Chelsea have not challenged for Premier League title since they last won it, He's already fighting a losing battle, and that's not his fault in the slightest. It was easier before to choose the players over the manager because Michael Amanala was running a strategy. That is not the case anymore. We now have multi-generational players across different managers, uh, and so it's a fractured squad, and there's the consistency isn't there. So, And, and apart from the squad, just for one other point, is the landscape of the Premier Everybody's got money now. You know, okay, Chelsea spent the most money in the summer transfer window. They spent 220 million. Yes, they blew that window apart in terms of money. But everybody, when COVID settles down and before, just before COVID, everybody's got money now. You know, Man City have got massive money. Liverpool have got money. Leicester City have got good money. My club, Aston Villa, in the last two summers have spent upwards of 100 million. That's a club who came up from the championship. Chelsea don't have that that advantage that they used to have of being able to definitely going out to sign the best players has has definitely been eradicated to to some degree and even when they did have the most money this summer they were cert- still signing a certain profile of play because Chelsea haven't been winning the Premier League title every season so you, it's quite difficult to go out and get the guy who's got all the experience who can come in and guarantee you Premier League titles, what you're actually investing in now is the guys who you hope will become those players. It's such a different landscape from the, the Chelsea's where they change manager every 12 months and still win a league. All right. Well, I think on that emphatic note, I love it, Matt. We're going to wrap this one for everybody. But thank you again so much. And, and all of you listeners out there, I have to say it, shameless plug for Matt, go get the Telegraph subscription if you don't. Uh, he's also got his email newsletter. Uh, we just love all the content. We we literally just like read Matt's content and then like ask him follow up questions here. So like if you like what we're doing on the podcast, go read it. It's much more in depth there on the site. So again, Telegraph, 
go get the subscription. Well worth the investment. But Matt, thank you. I'm glad that you, you've gotten some sleep over the weekend. We're glad to see <laughs> your good spirits this week. Uh, and hopefully you have a, a relaxed, for the most part, end of the transfer window today. Cheers. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap us up, Chelsea fans. You know what to do. Follow us on social. Talk to us. See what we liked, what we didn't like. I can't wait for the headline that will be written where Matt said Sean Dyche will be the next Chelsea manager because that'll be a fun one to read. But that's going to wrap us up. So until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. Flying high.